Welcome to PSQH, the podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of PSQH. On this episode, I talk to Dr. Sean Studer of Janssen U.S. Pulmonary Hypertension and Dr. Patricia George, Pulmonologist and Board President at Team Phenomenal Hope, about the importance for pulmonary arterial hypertension patients to return to in-person care visits. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Sean Studer, Vice President Medical Affairs at Janssen U.S. Uh, pulmonary Hypertension and Dr. Patty George, pulmonologist and board president at Team Phenomenal Hope. And we're going to talk to them about the importance of having patients return to in-person visits with their care team. Um, Welcome, Sean and Patty. Thank you. Thank you, Jay. Um, And, you know, before we kind of get into it, I was wondering if um, each of you could tell me a little bit about yourselves. Um, Sean, let's start with you. Sure. So I'm a pulmonary critical care physician by training. I worked for almost 20 years taking care of patients with pulmonary arterial hypertension, uh, as well as doing some research and working towards the latter part of that as a hospital administrator. I had the opportunity to join Janssen Medical Affairs in November of 2020, um, and have been in this role now for just about a year. Excellent. And Patty? Great, yeah, so um, I'm Patty George. I'm a pulmonary and critical care doctor here in Denver, Colorado, and the director of the pulmonary hypertension program here at National Jewish Health, um, and take care of patients uh, daily in our pulmonary hypertension program. I also am the co-founder and president of Team Phenomenal Hope, a nonprofit uh, patient advocacy organization that serves to raise awareness about pulmonary hypertension, raise funds for research, and also uh, help patients uh, both through educational opportunities as well as uh, uh, helping with their unmet needs. Excellent. Well, uh, let's start off. Why is it important for patients with pulmonary arterial hypertension, or PAH, to return to in-person care appointments? Yeah, so that's a great question, Jay, and this is a really timely topic. You know, as a pulmonary hypertension physician, taking care of these patients who live with a chronic disease, pulmonary arterial hypertension, you know, it's a very uh, complex disease that requires um, aggressive care with multiple medications to help achieve the best outcomes. But part of achieving those best outcomes is having regular routine assessments of how patients are doing. So when somebody is diagnosed with pulmonary arterial hypertension, PAH, if you will, Um, they're usually put on uh, medical therapy, and then we follow them closely. The guidelines would have us see them every three to six months, usually every three months, Um, sometimes more frequently, the sicker a patient is. And when we're doing that, we're evaluating, you know, how are they doing on medical therapy? Are they getting better? Are all of their test results also improving? You know, so we assess the patient both how they feel, but also specific biomarkers like lab results and six-minute walk distance and echocardiograms. And so um, if they're not improving to the degree that we would like, if they're not achieving what we call in the field a low-risk status, then we think about increasing their therapy or augmenting their therapy, adding additional medications. And so that routine assessment is a super important part of the care of patients with PAH. Uh, Sean, I certainly agree. Yep. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, Jay. So certainly agree that I've heard the things that that Patty mentioned, and certainly the guidelines do recommend that frequent touch points. And what I've heard so many times over the last two years was how 
physicians, and I'd be curious if Patty agrees with this, said there's just subtle things you pick up from seeing someone in person. Sometimes just getting up from the waiting room and how they walk into the examination room and how they look from that. Sometimes what their family members' reactions are. There's so many of those things that you don't pick up because they can be subtleties that an experienced clinician hones in on, they're telling me, but you don't always get them over telehealth and really not always over a telephone interaction. And so recognizing that telehealth for all of its potential benefits, it, it's still in its infancy being applied to an illness like this to be sure that it really is providing the level of care that and the standard that was recommended by experts and guidelines to date. Yeah, and I was gonna actually mention, you know, obviously the last couple of years, with the pandemic, telehealth has sort of taken on a, a larger role. I mean, what, uh, I guess, sort of talk a little bit about the benefits and, and you know, you meant, you just mentioned sort of some of the disadvantages of telehealth, um, you know, in terms of this patient population. Yeah, so I, I can speak to this directly. You know, when the pandemic started and when we were still learning so much about uh, SARS-CoV-2 and and it was highly, and it still is highly infectious, but um, a very scary and uncertain time. And at that time, at our institution, we didn't have telehealth capabilities, um, but rapidly mobilized them. Because I recall in those initial weeks when we were having our, like, quote, lockdown phase here in Colorado, I recall calling my patients on the phone and even asking them, I said, if you're doing okay, you know, trying to dissuade them from coming in. I didn't, if they were coming from a distance, I didn't know if they would have a risk of, you know, contracting it at a gas station or at a pit stop, if you will, on the way to the clinic, um, especially in the, in the beginning when we had no vaccines and, um, and very little effective therapies. And so um, telehealth uh, was extremely helpful to us to be able to see patients um, and talk with patients and uh, and assess them um, during that time. And I and I and we can talk about this. I'm sure here there are certain conveniences that I think will persist and will continue to um, will continue to hone this technology. I don't think telehealth is is uh, going uh, by the wayside by any means. But as uh, Dr. Studer said, you know it's um, those other aspects of the assessment, actually seeing somebody in front of you, actually um, noticing how that you can see some of that on telehealth, you can see them walk around their house, et cetera, but um, it's just a little bit different and not having the routine laboratory testing, not having the uh, echocardiogram necessarily, all of the other things, six minute walk distance, things that we use as part of our routine risk assessment um, is one of the things that you miss with telehealth. Now that's being investigated. There are studies looking at ways to measure some of these variables that could be surrogates for in-person visits. And it's, it's exciting. It will move the field forward. Um, but that hasn't, as uh, Dr. Studer already said, that hasn't yet been validated. And so, um, you know, it's, it's not yet, uh, as, as we know, uh, up to the quality of standard of care. Um, and how can you use educational efforts to facilitate uh, PAH patients' return to care? I can start with that one. We think there's a big role for, for groups like Dr. George's and, and Team Phenomenal Hope and all advocacy groups in this. And really what it is, is we want the message to be out there that we're hearing regularly from experts in the field 
just what we've been unpacking for the last few minutes, which is that there's not an equivalence between being home and having a telephone touch point with your uh, healthcare provider and actually being in front of them live. So this idea of returning to in-person visits, taking any sort of approach we can to, to help support that message. So from a company standpoint, Janssen has tried to work with a number of advocacy organizations, including again, Team Phenomenal Hope, to provide either tools that patients might need. Sometimes we've heard that, well, we really like to develop as the organization a checklist for them. So if they're leaving, they know that they should plan a route out so they don't have to stop unexpectedly and potentially have a, an exposure that they didn't plan to have. They should understand what it looks like when they come to the medical center. Are there specific ways you should come in masked, wait in certain areas, maybe not wait in the waiting room, smaller office, Sometimes had people wait in their cars and then called them in right when their appointment started. So sometimes it was checklists, sometimes it was procedures, and sometimes it was a way of just this general message of being out there to let them know that it's been more comfortable in a way because you don't have the fear of exposure to COVID, mm -hmm. but it doesn't necessarily mean you're getting the same level of care. So for, for us at Janssen, it's been largely supporting advocacy efforts as well as some direct sort of social media approaches or breathe in, speak out campaign. On, on Facebook and Instagram to sort of let patients tell other patients and have messages out there that healthcare providers and experts such as Dr. George have approved in this area to say these are the things to keep top of mind so you don't fall out of care. There's real risks in a progressive disease of that happening. We wanna do everything we can to educate them so there's a, the smallest chance possible that that ever happens. Yeah, absolutely. And to just ta tag on that, um, you know, on Team Phenomenal Hope, we were grateful for the support from Janssen to launch our campaign. We had a, we called it our Living Well Now and Beyond campaign. And we did develop uh, with a, a panel of experts, PH uh, physicians and nurses in the field, we developed a checklist to help people um, figure out how can I return to clinic safely. And one of those key parts of the checklist is making sure patients um, talk with their clinic. So especially when people were um, staying indoors more and, and not going to clinic, some people, in fact, there's data, published data that shows that there were care interruptions and people that had interruptions in their PAH care actually had worse outcomes, increased hospitalization, ER visits, um, episodes of right ventricular failure compared to those who did not have uh, care interruptions in, in terms of what's been published. And so that is uh, that's something that we um, want to avoid. And so with this campaign, we've been able to um, help get people back to clinic. Um, and you can check it out at teamphenomenalhope.org slash living hyphen well hyphen resources to see a whole slew of a checklist and informational videos to help guide patients back to clinic. Um, and how can insights from the pandemic help inform a path from improving access to PAH care in the future? I think one of the ways that we've looked at it from a medical affairs standpoint in industry is to say we have learned some valuable things from this. And so one of the things that Janssen is really committed to is to try to improve health equity. And one of the things that the pandemic sort of demonstrated to us is there's always been some patients who had challenges getting to an expert center such as Dr. George's for their pH care. In the pandemic, it sort of widened that gap of people that had difficulty for all the obvious reasons. There were lockdowns, there was fear, there was inability in some cases to have help in getting a family member bring you to visits because of different challenges that were created. So we're looking at it and saying, if, if 
the pandemic laid bare problems that a portion of the population used to have. How then can telehealth and other things help close that gap, not just during the pandemic and, and, and any future issues we face with variants that may cause access challenges, but how do we do that on an ongoing basis? So for us, again, it's supportive advocacy groups looking at this, and it's really looking at research. So you know, Dr. George mentioned a moment ago some of this data about what gaps in care or limited access to care looks like in terms of health risk. On the other or the positive side, what does the opportunity that telehealth provides potentially for if you only had three-month visits out of a practical reason, like you just couldn't travel back and forth to a center that maybe was multiple hours away, given the distance, could you now, if you needed follow-up in between that three-month window, now get it in a telehealth fashion and not use it as a replacement, but use it as an augmentation, use it as a lever to actually get more information to your care team and hope for you to have a better illness journey? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, too, you know, we've learned in the pandemic that, um, I mean, telehealth, it's, it's great. It certainly helps, uh, helps our patients who live in care deserts. So where I'm located in Denver, we take care of patients who come from great distances. And, um, and so, you know, having telehealth capabilities so that we can reach people who are four hours away across the state um, has definitely helped, not just during the pandemic, but helps uh, in the wintertime when I-70 is snowed in, et cetera. And so it definitely expands our ability to, uh, to work with patients. And as we develop ways and improve ways to get the supplemental data, like I say, it doesn't totally replace in-person visits, but is definitely better than um, non-in-person visits uh, or, or no visit at all. Um, I think we also learned that care deserts are not just geographic care deserts, but you know, even in big cities. And one of the things that we'll have to work on with telehealth is improving people's access to care, even with telehealth capabilities. There are many people that live without broadband access or without access to smartphones and um, or computers. And so um, perhaps our healthcare system can work on um, leveraging more resources for patients so that, that we can also expand the ability to, to do telehealth care. Have you seen, uh, um, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, Jay, I was just gonna mention, I agree with her there. And I think the other thing we learned is that during the pandemic, a lot of the potential um, challenges to having telehealth work were sort of put aside. There were a lot of policy and other changes made that really promoted telehealth. And it'd be interesting to see in the future, could some of those be retained to keep the best aspects of telehealth going? So mm -hmm. if it was done minimally before and it got better established, how do we keep the good during this piece? And I'd be really curious to see how Dr. George and other experts sort of follow this moving forward, because we may, the tendency might be to revert back to what we had, you know, three, four years ago before any of this was in place. And we wouldn't want to lose those good things that we learned about exactly the things she said in terms of providing better access and ideally better health equity. More of a hybrid between kind of both in-person and um, telehealth. Mm -hmm. I think so. And, and sometimes challenges that, that Dr. George can speak to being in practice about during telehealth practicing across state lines and other things, there was a lot of adjustments made that, that were really very patient-centric. And all of us would want to see, and I think the patients would want to see, a way to work forward and make sure that those patient-centric things that worked, the hybrid aspects, as you mentioned, that brought good things, how can we retain those? It would be a shame, obviously, if we learned some things 
and then didn't you know, make the right steps, learn more, do the research, to sort of cement them in place to make sure we're truly in a better place once we're on the other side of the, the pandemic challenges to a larger degree and don't lose the learnings over time. Have you noticed a reluctance from some patients to, to maybe uh, come back in for in-person visits, you know, just because of maybe fear of, you know, catching COVID or just, uh, you know, I guess maybe a, finding it's more convenient to, to go the telehealth route? Absolutely. Um, I mean, all yes to both of the above and, and more. Um, you know, we're still, uh, even though it's a different phase perhaps of the pandemic, we're still seeing these surges in cases and mm -hmm. many of our patients are immunocompromised or immunosuppressed. And so um, they're very mindful uh, of, of their own risk and so they still have an ongoing hesitance to just be in crowds or be in the public, despite the fact that our clinic, and I know many clinics are, are taking the, as, as many safety precautions as we can. Um, we don't dissuade them from coming to clinic now because of the safety precautions that we do have in place. Um, and in fact, as this campaign through Team Phenomenal Hope, we welcome and, and reach out to people to try to get them back into clinic if they've been missing, missing their visits. Um, so yes, and then the convenience. I mean, if you work a job and you have one car for your family or you don't have a car, for example, um, you know, not having to get a ride into the clinic, um, not having to miss more than perhaps a half hour, 45 minutes of work when you can step away from your desk and get on a telehealth visit um, is highly convenient for people. And so, um, I do think, uh, for many reasons, there are there are those people that really embrace telehealth. There are others that never embraced it and that always prefer in-person visits. Um, but yeah, well, you definitely see people wanting to to continue with the convenience of it for sure. Um, so, what are some things that PAH patients can ask their healthcare providers in sort to facilitate a more comfortable return to in-office uh, care? Yeah, so you know, it's I I think it's the number one question is um, so you know reaching out to their their physician or their sorry their PH team care team and asking things like um, what are the precautions that are being taken in the clinic to ensure my safety and other safety when I come to clinic is it safe for me to come to clinic and if so what are those precautions that are being taken. Um, what are the things that I can do as a patient um, to make sure that I'm staying as safe as possible um, as we reemerge, if you will, coming back to clinic and going out into public? Um, and, you know, also asking questions about getting vaccinated. So that's the number one thing, right, that we can do now to improve our, um, our, our, our outcomes and our chances of uh, doing well should we come into contact with or get infected with the virus and so asking questions about the vaccines and am I eligible for a booster and um, those sorts of questions to their pH care team I think are, are very helpful to help um, assuage fears of getting back to clinic and and in fact get them back into clinic to make sure that we uh, take care of their chronic pH. Sean, anything to add to that? Well, the, I guess she's covered really most of it, not surprisingly. I think the couple of things I've heard from, from other advocacy groups is really that 
patients should ask anything of the care team that's on their mind, even if it seems you know unimportant or strange, right? We we heard from from a, a set of practitioners who said their patients had often gained weight, which was reported widely during the pandemic. Folks, because they were less active, they didn't necessarily want to go back to the office because they were afraid they were going to sort of be chastised about that they didn't hmm. follow their diets and stay as active. So they before they went back to care, or some of them apparently were encouraged to call and talk about those anxieties. So certainly all the ones that, that, that were mentioned about infection control, and those, those are the top of mind ones all across. I think anything that would limit from someone going back to care is worthwhile of raising you know, with their offices based on what providers have told us, because they want to, just, just as Dr. Drew says, assuage those fears and say, listen, it's okay to come back. It's in fact really good to come back. And everything carries a, a little risk potentially when you're when you're doing things differently than you've been done for, for the last two years. But it's important you really try to get past that. So whatever it is, please bring it up, clear it with that that provider's office, so they can give you that reassurance that the right things are in place. And um, you feel like sort of you know obviously as you get that message out, um, you know it'll start to sink in, and folks will start to be a little more reassured and, and start you know, returning to those in-office visits? I think so. I mean, we're seeing that happening. Um, you know, I think uh, most of our patients have come back for their uh, in-office visits. And, um, and, and by the way, when we, when we went from telehealth back to in-person, just as a human being who you know, uh, cares for other human beings, right? You get, we get very close with our patients with PAH. We see them regularly. You know about their families and their pets and their jobs and all of the human stuff. And so I, I know that when I saw people in person again, like you have this feeling like in your heart, you feel good to actually <laughs> see somebody again and know that they're well. And, um, and so I think once people do return to clinic, hopefully they they feel that same vibe when they see their doctors, their nurses, um, who are happy happy that 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 they're they've, that, that, that they're doing okay, um, and that they're back to see us in clinic, and that we can continue to support them. Yes, and from our view, we really really want to support whatever it is that organizations like Team Phenomena Hope, other advocacy needs, to keep that reassurance growing, to sort of deepen it. Because the only concern we've heard from, from some pockets is that in some areas, it may be a little bit of a fragile comfort that patients have achieved, right? They hear about a new variant, they may start to get scared again. So this idea that we really don't wanna see, you know, the situation where patients are so concerned as they were during the lockdown come up again, because there's been a lot of evolution since. There's, there's been better ways to, for patients to protect themselves, better ways that offices have learned to interact with them. So our interest is to continue to support advocacy, individual providers like Dr. George, in any way we can, and, and make patients feel empowered in a way that's enduring. So when the next thing comes up, whether it's just the flu season this, this fall, which occurs every year, but may cause more anxiety than it did in some previous years, that we still have patients you know, feeling comfortable and feeling confident in their providers and staying in care because being in person is really the best way to get assessed and to make sure that the best possible you know, assessments and if needed treatment adjustments are being made. Mm -hmm. Well, Sean and Patty, I want to thank you so much for joining me today and, uh, and good luck uh, as you get the message out there um, going forward. Thank you, Jay. A pleasure, thanks so much.
That wraps up episode 57 of PSQH, the podcast. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at psqh.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Thanks again, and stay safe.